are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit organization Win Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global product lead at Win by Night and product manager by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Win Win. You can imagine that as someone who hosts an innovation podcast with over 80 episodes, the subject matter is on my mind quite a lot, but more recently I found myself wondering, how do we stay inspired to innovate? Today's conversation is with a guest who does a really great job of helping me answer that question, and that is Anne Olderog, who is a senior partner at Vivaldi, which is one of the most prominent and well-established innovation consulting firms in the space. Anne is an incredible example of an innovation practitioner who lays a very tangible path to innovation with every project and every concept that she considers. I found her inspiring and full of optimism and hope for the future, and someone who really reminds me that innovation is relevant for the past, present, and future, because innovation is not a nice-to-have, but it really is a must-have. I also loved her point of view about where the source of inspiration for innovation begins, how to cultivate it, as well as the methodical way that she broke down her approach to complex and challenging problems. I hope that you enjoy the multitude of insights from this episode, and if you like what you hear, make sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and if possible, please do leave us a review as it helps more and more people around the world find us. With that, let's kick it off with Anne Olderog. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. Hello. Great to be here. Thanks for taking the time to chat. I'm so excited to have you on. And you may or may not know this, but when Women in Innovation first started, it was really a nonprofit organization meant to create pathways into the world of innovation consulting for women who traditionally aren't on the leadership teams of those companies. And of course, you are, and you're a senior partner at Vivaldi. But besides your first role, pretty much all of your professional experience for the last 25 years has been in consulting and innovation consulting. So I'd really love to hear about what aspects of your background have enabled you to enter and advance in the industry and really considering what it is about innovation consulting that makes it different from the pathway with traditional consulting. That is such a great question. Thank you so much. It gives me a chance to pause and reflect on this. I would say Mm. really a couple of things that really uh, prepared me well. I think the first thought was really trying to always have a different point of view or looking for a different point of view on any problem I look at. And I think this is very much a mindset, but this is something that I think I really enjoyed very much uh, already growing up, even as a child, but a good thing to cultivate in children. And I certainly try to do it in my own children. Mm -hmm. Um, But I grew up between several different cultures. And I think that this kind of global outlook really gave me early on the thought that there's not just one way of doing things, there are several. And this gave me the appetite and frankly, the insatiable curiosity to see different cultures. You can obviously go into different companies and company cultures. And I think it gives you really a sense of wanting to understand from a consumer standpoint, 
how different consumer segments or just simply different consumers and people can possibly see a problem differently and therefore what opportunities for innovation it offers. So bottom line is I think this global perspective really sets you up for wanting to understand consumers deeply, wanting to see things from a different point of view than my own or the established one, and always wanting to kick tires and, and challenge received wisdom in digging deeper and wanting to come up with different solutions. If I may just come with a second point, in addition to a global outlook that may perhaps be interesting for your audiences, is I honestly grew up reading a lot of books. And I think that mm -hmm. books and novels and literature teach us something. It's, again, the ability to live in someone else's shoes rather than our own. And this has been a powerful tool that has informed innovation for me because this, again, allows us to lift ourselves out of our experience and put ourselves in the shoes of consumers and understand how they see the world and therefore come up with innovation that can actually serve them better. So my other vantage point is to encourage all those who are interested in innovation to read as many novels as possible so that uh, we all learn how to understand different people's points of views. And I feel like so much of what you said really carries this notion of nuance, right? And I think that really does make the difference in innovation. A lot of the times people think that to innovate, you have to take the norm and just flip it on its head. Mm -hmm. But as you mentioned, it's not just flipping it up or down. It's mm -hmm. actually really reevaluating it from all angles. And I think with the notion of novels – you know, when I was more junior in my career, I would be the person that goes to the nonfiction section of the bookstore or the library and only reads the biographies of successful leaders or people in the startup space. And it's so funny that you brought up this notion of novels because while I've learned incredible amounts from reading biographies and all these other really great nonfiction business resources, I do think that novels and actually fiction books really provide an insight into that consumer behavior, which is so, so key for our industry. It's about understanding somebody in our times. But for instance, what novels teach us is understanding times that are completely different from our own. Mm -hmm. And that you kind of need to put yourself in such a different context that it really teaches your mind, again, to enter in the world of consumers and to understand their Welt and Schauung, which could be completely different from ours, such as it would be when you're reading a novel about different times. So I think there is value in reading both fiction and nonfiction. There is a lot certainly to be gained from understanding the paths of leaders. But I think one of the ways that I've, I've heard a great leader defined is it's somebody who can understand and speak to everyone who can mm -hmm. who is comfortable in a boardroom and who is comfortable to talking to everyone at all levels of a company. And I've observed that very often. And I think that ability can only come from true compassion defined as an empathetic understanding of what every human being is going through. And so I think that's what really informs the formulating the problem and also the solution and innovation. In the consulting space, one of the advantages of being in the consulting space versus in-house is you do get to switch projects. You do get to have a say in which projects you're involved in. What have been the kinds of projects that have moved your career forward the most? Specifically, I'm wondering, is it those problems that you have no familiarity with or, you know, the ability to really connect with off the bat initially? Or is it the ability to really dive deep into something that you personally experience as a consumer? 
Oh, I think that is such an interesting question. I mean, for me, honestly, the most interesting projects are the most challenging ones. And they're almost inevitably coming up with something that has honestly never been done. My passion mm-hmm. throughout my career has been, and I, frankly, our sweet spot also as a company, is really redefining the space where our clients are playing. It's really transforming the whole industry, not just coming up with a few features. I think it has been much discussed of, you know, the death of feature innovation and just kind of um, really playing, defining a whole new game plan is much more exciting. So a couple of projects I'm working on right now are super exciting to me. One is launching a completely new product in the education space that I can't talk too much about, but I can promise it's going to revolutionize education and how people learn. So that's extremely exciting. It really gets my passion uh, fired up. And the second project and an area that I really enjoy thinking about and building very much is we at Vivaldi define ourselves as the interaction field company. And we really specialize. We are the place to come and think about and build interaction fields, which are kind of these really ecosystems, these platforms that bring together more than one participant, Uh, not just Uber and Airbnb, but literally in every single industry we work in, interaction fields are revolutionizing how business is done. So I'm leading a couple of projects actually building those together with our clients. Those are things that truly have not been done in their respective industries. So we are literally redefining the laying of the land. We are creating a completely new model together with them that will redefine their leadership in the space and will completely transform the industry. I have like five questions as a (laughs) follow-up, but I've spoken to so many different leaders on this podcast, some of which are in the startup space, some of which are in the Fortune 500 space, and they do sit in different areas of the organization because as you probably know, innovation is never yielding from one area of an organization. But what they really struggle with is, you know, me and my teams are able to really make innovation a part of our practice, but we are really challenged to integrate innovation to the rest of the company. So our innovation ends up failing. So when you're working with the different clients, you mentioned ecosystems, but especially in a consultant capacity, how do you approach ensuring that innovation really happens on that ecosystem level? I think that's really so interesting because as part of innovation, one of the things that we really make sure we do is we uh, address the organizational and cultural aspects of innovation. And there are definitely different different formulas or different models of running innovation in-house. Um, in some cases, it's really integrating it very closely with the rest of the company. In other cases, it is actually running it separately, almost as a think tank and almost as an incubator. And we often advise clients on the models on the pros and cons of Mm -hmm. uh, deciding on one model versus the other. And of course, those are the two, just the two extreme ones. There are many hybrid solutions that are in between and many shades of gray there. Uh, But yes, I think that ultimately the issue is if you define innovation in a vacuum, you are not as powerful as when you're leveraging the strengths of all your company. Um, There are different implications in terms of staffing, rotating, um, ultimately building up your high potentials for senior management roles. If you do have a rotation model, people get more exposure to innovation. You are much more integrated in the fabric of the organization, but your people always come and go. You don't get to leverage all the expertise or you don't get to keep it. It sort of really moves on, but you have a network of alums across the organization. If you have a separate 
venture unit that focuses on incubating new ideas. You have a focused team that is probably dedicated and passionate. You can move forward in a much faster and much more agile way, but you don't get to benefit from the power and the charisma and all the assets of the organization that is supporting you. And it becomes much more difficult to get anyone to be passionate about your innovation ideas because they are by definition going to be much smaller than the existing core business and everyone is going to care much more about that. So definitely different models there. But my advice, and I think this is where you were going, is ultimately I think the most powerful innovations today don't just come from one head, they come from the ecosystem. And so just on several different ways, it is so important to involve various players across the ecosystem. That is true on an industry level where already A.G. Laffley many years ago said, we don't care if the ideas come from us or from somebody else. We just want to have the best innovation ideas. Today, we see a lot of models where innovation is coming from across the ecosystem, not just from the company, and it actually benefits everyone in the ecosystem. One example is even the metaverse that is obviously a very decentralized world where innovation Mm -hmm. is likely to come from everywhere, not to be owned by one specific company and brand. Well, the same principle of decentralization and collaborative innovation works also across the company, where I would advise everyone to involve a broad range of partners and get them excited about your innovation goals, just so you can actually pull together resources from across the company. So yes, you're not going to be the champion of your idea, or you might still be, but by getting broad support from across your peers and superiors, and frankly, from everyone uh, across the company, you'll get much more traction for your ideas. And of course, the same holds true for your team, where the way we run innovation projects is a highly collaborative effort. And uh, we think that this makes us much stronger rather than um, just kind of the inventor model where ideas are extracted from one head. I could not agree more. I also think that there is a question around feasibility with innovation and measuring innovation. And a lot of the times innovation ends up sitting in a PowerPoint presentation somewhere because those key stakeholders that should have been consulted, whether it's a compliance partner or a legal partner or an operational partner, that feasibility is not always tested. So I think by bringing those partners in from day one, you are actually creating a more safe way to implement innovation, if you will. Yeah, and it's so different. It's so interesting because then you can actually include challenges early on that you can think through. So you're really opening your mind again to new new ways of, of doing things. I think one of the paradoxes of innovation, as I've observed, is that we're all about open-mindedness and open innovation when it comes to understanding consumers of customers. And yet the way innovation processes have been run at least until recently in many organizations, has been fairly rigid and codified. It was a fairly wonderful process where it sort of transitioned from, let's say, the the consumer insights team to the strategy team, then to the design team and UX team and so on and so forth. And I think by kind of just blowing up these boundaries and getting everyone to work together in one room, you come up with much better ideas that have a much better chance of actually making it to market. But again, most importantly, our goal is frankly not to make it to market. Our goal is to change industries. You are one of the, I will call, lucky ones that have innovation in your title or in your industry, something that women in innovation as an organization, and I'll speak for myself, Zoya Kozakov, I've been grappling with is this notion of, again, like 
where does innovation sit in, you know, your career trajectory and your organization. I really was keen on entering the innovation consulting space, but ended up in the product management track. And I've I've wondered like what is my role to be the innovator and how does the innovation practice play into my job description and and how I spend my time. So when you think about roles that may be in-house or not in-house and really structuring creating innovation as a part of your job description when it's not automatically written in there, what are the guidelines or the advice that you can give? Well, that's, again, another really excellent question, because I think that innovation should be a core part of today's jobs. So I would say, whatever you're doing today, if you if you think your job is not innovation, and if you don't think of innovation as a core tenant of your job, you are probably missing something. Mm-hmm. The reality is where the economy is going is that I think most of the jobs that are kind of executing things according to process and specs are likely to be taken over by AI really soon. And one of my predictions is that it's happening much faster than we thought, because while AI was thought as something that is quite far off Mm -hmm. just a couple of years ago, now we really see it happening across so many different industries from education, where adaptive software is quickly gaining ground to, again, healthcare, where I do a lot of my work. And there is such a huge opportunity to change the laying of the land with data and AI and identifying best patterns that will make health better for all of us. So I think really, is there a role for the human mind? I think that there is always a continued and huge role for human intelligence, but that role is not executing on predefined processes. That, That role is defining new processes or in fact, setting new goals. And one of the big goals of innovation for me, which we haven't talked about, But it's really defining the biggest problems that we need to focus on solving right now. And that's what makes it so exciting to me, because frankly, our world doesn't lack problems. And our role as innovators is to really pick those problems that need most human creativity. And one of the things I'm excited by is our potential as humans and, of course, our potential as an industry in innovation to ultimately solve some of those big problems that we were really not able to solve before. Let me take you, let me give a a, a very strange example, which is just even the refugee crisis, obviously the terrible situation that we happening, that we see happening right now. There is a lot of potential for innovation to change that laying of the land. Mm -hmm. Through AI, we might have the opportunity to optimize routes, to optimize logistics, to optimize supply to refugees coming and to make sure that everybody is routed in the most efficient and best possible way. And those are things that the human mind, together, obviously, with data and artificial intelligence, can take on. And that's an example of a big problem that has previously been unsolved and that we can solve today thanks to data and interaction fields. Because again, no one actor has the ability to solve big problems such as these. It will take collaboration across many actors from the ecosystem to actually come up with solutions for those. What I think is often misunderstood and what you're, seems like what you're getting at is that those two things, automation and the human mind are mutually exclusive, where I you know, completely agree with you where those two things have to work together. I mean, you take, you know, breaking down AI as a problem. AI doesn't just work on its own. You still need to tell it what to do and what to be, 
searching for and how to be operating on a very basic level. But yeah, those things are absolutely not mutually exclusive. We've been kind of jumping around the bush with this question, and I'd love to ask it in a, in a more straightforward way. You talk about taking on these really large problems and some of the infrastructures and the thinking that you do. But when somebody does come to you with a really big problem, what is your process for where do you begin? Yeah, that's really interesting because actually where we begin is defining the problem better. Our CEO likes to quote Einstein, who said, when I'm presented with a problem, I spend 90% of my time thinking about the problem and then the rest mm -hmm. of the 5% on the solution because the solution just falls out of defining the problem. So this is where you spoke earlier about nuance, understanding the problem with granularity and care and empathy for the consumer and customer situations that underlie it is really the core to finding solutions because otherwise we are at risk of wanting again to sell more of our own widgets rather than truly finding a solution that fits like a glove to the problem. And so I think the biggest opportunity is truly in defining the problem better, which is often done through consumer or customer research. And after that, we follow a fairly structured process where we really look at not just how to jump straight to the solution, but how to enrich the definition of the problem with more context. By that context, I by mean the, the study of cultural trends. The cultural trends really enable us to frame a problem statement in such a way that it reflects the problem as it will present itself in the future rather than in the past, because the cultural trends give us a lens for how markets will look in the future. Then we also typically inform it, of course, with very deep consumer work, with category understanding, and with disruptor and technology analysis, which gives us a sense of what's possible today, what might be possible tomorrow, and what are some disruptors that are already working on these sorts of problems, which we use both for really, rather for inspiration than imitation and also competition. So both to inspire ourselves by what is already being done and possible, but taking it to the same stage. And obviously, if something is completely covered, then that might present a competitive problem, but again, typically in an ecosystem kind of mind frame, it's less about competition. It's more about how can we collaborate and perhaps even partner up to take the problem to the next stage. Another aspect of your story really resonates with me, and that's your ability to really balance that big vision with the execution and having processes and infrastructures. And it makes me think a lot about you know, both your trajectory, but the way that we also think about leadership uh, in the innovation industry. So, you know, as a woman who's worked at some of the most male-dominated companies, whether that's McKinsey, BCG, Goldman Sachs, and others, I'm sure you've seen different leadership styles. And frequently, we associate that visionary leadership style with innovation. So when thinking about Vivaldi and your own innovation trajectory as a whole, how do you think that the visionary style fits into a career in innovation? And do you believe that gender has an impact into how it's perceived and rejected or accepted in different circumstances? That is, again, so interesting. So I do think visionary leadership is absolutely key because the ability to formulate the vision and get everyone aligned is so critical to any role in innovation. And I, I think you are quite right um, and you're spot on that there are some lingering kind of uh, stereotypes that uh, visionary leaders are men and certainly, you know, have had my share of mansplaining in the industry. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> But I think ultimately the ability is to bring together your teams and get great results 
for your clients. I think that a lot of women leaders can have a very collaborative style. And by collaborative, I really don't mean soft because it can actually be quite energetic and quite visionary, but really making sure that you get ideas from everyone who is on your team and even beyond your team would be the advice I give and, and ultimately energize teams to produce great results. Um, but also very, very strong partnerships with clients. And I think that's one of the other elements that I see women leaders often excel at is the ability to build these thought partnerships with clients where really you can bring a lot more of your ideas to bear. And I think obviously, as I described with my idea uh, of the ecosystem, I think that that leadership style is the future. It's the ability to work together rather than necessarily compete so I think this is where, you you know, women leaders who have a visionary style who are also collaborators have perhaps a bright future versus somebody who is a visionary but always sees their vision as opposed to the other's vision and doesn't allow as much space for others as I have have seen a lot of male leaders behave and it's all about their vision and everybody needs to align to that or or leave the company. I think the trick or the fine line to walk, if you will, is, is to be radically visionary and at the same time radically collaborative so that you you are able to stand up for your vision and defend it. That's obviously really, really important. But you're also at all times completely ready to include others, understand their point of view and bring them along the journey, which is much easier said than done. Oh, completely. And two thoughts come to mind when you when you say that this notion about really articulating who you are as a leader and really executing on that. I remember one of my mentors asked me, what is your leadership vision? And I I remember being like, I'm, you know, a mid-level employee. I, I don't know what my leadership vision is. And I went back and I sat down and I thought about it and tried to observe myself in meetings and in other capacities. And kind of the leadership vision that I came up with for myself was that I do have a vision, but I really like to bring people with me along for the ride. So the ride is shaped by those around me. So for me, it's really exciting to hear you talk about how that that's valuable in the innovation industry. But to turn it back to you, careers are so tricky in every industry. And innovation is especially not linear. And so you've risen the ranks and are now an innovation leader at your firm, Vivaldi. So when speaking to mid-level innovation manager, what takes someone from that innovation mid-level to really running an innovation practice or leading an innovation practice? I think it's really the ability to always see things differently. I think, you know, when it's interesting when you you talked about your leadership uh, vision, I often describe my superpower as the ability to see things that others don't or the ability perhaps to see things clearly that others are confused by. Mm. And I've noticed many times, which was really puzzling to me, that I had quite a bit of clarity of vision when everybody else on the team seemed confused. Got it. And so I think my advice is really try to have a point of view, try to see things differently. And once you have a point of view and a perspective, be ready to stand up for it and lead, but always in a collaborative way. And I think it does take more than process management. Um, I think one of the risks, again, of of innovation is that the processes are have become so divine and almost so rigid. So I would say don't be a prisoner of the existing way of doing things. Always be ready to challenge it and you know, throw it up in the air and frankly, try something new for you, which you might actually end up being fun. 
So when we are all ready to leave our own comfort zone and try to do things in a new way, that's, I feel, when we have most fun. And I've observed it in my career, even in the last year, which I'm very happy <laughs> that I can still learn. There's and, uh, more to grow. Retires, <laughs> exactly, and do things in new ways. <laughs> Completely. And I've, I've really witnessed some of the leaders that I look up to most kind of take these fundamental processes that we all have been taught to do and know how to do and really stop and say, hey, is this really still conducive to what we're building here and what we're doing here, uh, which I find to be uh, really, really important. So before we end the podcast, I'd really love the opportunity to ask you one last innovation question. Where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? Oh, that's such a great question. <laughs> I would need to kind of respond separately for myself and, uh, and, and my Perfect. industry, right? But to, to, to start thinking about the industry, because it's really always, again, helpful to think outside of ourselves. I think in one month, we can probably accomplish very little. <laughs> but I really hope that we can really launch more new products and more new ideas out in the market to be tested. Certainly, that also applies to me because I have, again, several new products and models in the making right now. So I would hope to see them in market really soon. In one year, I think that what's going to be really interesting for us as an industry and possibly for me as an individual is really to make sure that we don't waste the learnings of not just the pandemic, but frankly, the myriads of crises that we seem to be going through right now. Because to me, the pandemic really changed so many industries and so many consumer behaviors fundamentally. And I still see a lot of us or a lot of companies acting as if the, the old normal was going to return. I don't believe that's going to be the case. I think that everything is going to be thrown up in the air and we will have new patterns emerging as opposed to going back to how life and industries used to be before the pandemic and again, I use the pandemic as an example. Unfortunately, we seem to be going from one crisis to another. And I think the, apply, the same applies to any crisis, economic or geopolitical, that we are actually traversing. And I think that in 10 years, I would hope that we are really able to come up with entire new ways of solving these problems. And I would hope that the process of solving those becomes just a tad bit more automated, where we don't let the problems linger so much, but we sort of have a structured way of approaching them and coming up with answers. And I think we have several tools on the rise that should enable us to to do so, I mean, one obvious one is clearly data. I think the data is changing the laying of the land in every single industry. The ability to have data on everything we do is the equivalent of mark of real, direct, real-time market feedback. In the industries where I do most of my work, such as education and healthcare, the potential of data is humongous to increase outcomes for every learner and also every patient, and as such, every practitioner and every instructor. Big data is just one aspect of that. Obviously, there's a series of technologies that can really enable us to, to get there from, you know, the obviously blockchain and the Internet of Things, uh, AR and VR, and of course, famously, last but not least, the metaverse, which from our perspective is really a huge interaction field, which will enable us. My interest in the metaverse is not so much the NFTs or any of that. It's not just a better way to do marketing of the same product in a slightly different way, the way we do uh, on earth, so to speak, 
to me, my interest in the metaverse is that the metaverse is a huge innovation lab at low cost. And we'll obviously have the opportunity to launch and test drive products much quicker, much easier, because obviously we won't need any physical production. So I would hope that the metaverse and the combination of all these other um, technologies and data really increases our power for innovation exponentially. And that we're able to come up, I want to say, if right now a company comes up with many, an innovative company comes up with, I would say, 300 nuggets of ideas, and maybe, you know, five of those make those to the same, to the next stage, I would envision that that increases by a multiple and that we have a much better vetted structured process both for coming up with problem understandings and therefore coming up with ideas and therefore coming up with solutions to these problems, which again, drives success. And that the metaverse enables, again, everyone to be an innovator because independently of what your job is, whether you're an instructor and you want to now teach in the metaverse, whether you are a product manager and you can experiment how to improve the process on your factory floor. Certainly, if you are a, um, if you have any kind of um, business leadership role, be it marketing, culture, leadership, people, leadership, and certainly innovation, I think the metaverse is a whole new playing field. And so for myself, I would just humbly hope that I'm able to really help my team push the boundaries and come up with some of those new ideas. And I would very much love to see some of those ideas about the metaverse uh, kind of pan out and perhaps see me launching some of those products together with my clients. Incredible. Well, thank you so, so much for the amount of wisdom you've imparted on us. I know that I learned a ton of new, exciting things about innovation and really excited for me and our listeners to be following on your trajectory with you. Amazing. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed this conversation. All the best, Zoya. Great talking to you. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.